here's what I can assure you. We're going to have a much better health care plan at much less money. I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check. And that was President Donald Trump either helping or complicating Republicans' efforts on health reform. It has been an incredibly packed week of news. We're going to get right to it in an emergency news roundup podcast. I dragged my colleague, Jen Habercorn, into this de facto studio, and we're going to talk about the healthcare news of the week. Hi, Jen. Hey, Dan. I came voluntarily for the record. There, there was no mandate. You, you were not. No, yeah. I took the personal responsibility route. So, Jen, it has been an incredible week of healthcare news. Since last Friday, I made a list of everything that has happened on our beat. First, Trump issues his executive order instructing agencies to weaken the ACA. Kellyanne Conway said that the mandate might die. Sean Spicer immediately walks that back. Trump has now done a tour of media interviews talking about the ACA. Meanwhile, in Congress, Cassidy and Collins put forward their repeal and replace bill. Rand Paul released his bill. Tom Price went through his second hearing to be Ikshikshas secretary. There was the congressional retreat in Philadelphia for several days. Meanwhile, meanwhile, at Ikshikshas, the Trump beachhead staff rolled in, and we got some clarity over where Obama's staffers would be headed. Sylvia Burwell is going to be president at American University. Andy Slavitt says he's going to stay and fight for ACA. Gene Lambrews at the Century Foundation, and so on and so on. And then, meanwhile, 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 there's been a dust-up over healthcare.gov ads and outreach. And we reported last week that the Obama administration prepaid for that, then Trump administration pulling that. And now as we sit here on Friday afternoon, there has been new ads and email mm-hmm. that, that have come into our inbox. And then, like, meanwhile times five on, on the industry and broader side, Aetna Humana's merger got blocked. Pharma unveiled its multi-million dollar ad campaign. As as we sit here, there was a march, uh, march for life on the mall and various other demonstrations. Am I missing anything? Wow, um, that feels like a month of news and not just one week of news. But I think that's everything. I th- oh, I think we'd have to include the women's march uh, six days ago now um, on the mall. But that is a lot of healthcare news. My theory, and you've been covering this longer than me. This was the busiest week in healthcare news, healthcare reform that I can ever remember. Yeah, I'd say that's probably right. Um, but I do worry that the busiest weeks of 2017 are ahead of us. You know, when you think back, nothing actually happened this week. I mean, there was a lot of movements. I mean, the executive order was big. Kellyanne Conway's comments, um, Sean Spicer's comments, but nothing actually changed. I mean, the executive order didn't didn't do anything right away. Um, you know, the ACA is as intact as it was the day before Trump was inaugurated. Um so we didn't really see anything substantively change this week. I mean, Tom Price is just as bloodied as he was before the finance hearing, but he got through it. Um, I don't think that hearing changed anyone's votes. Um, so let's put some brackets around some of what we're talking about. First, the executive order a week ago that was Trump's ballyhooed effort to weaken the ACA, a symbolic gesture to his base, but as you said, it's just reaffirming the executive authorities that he already has. Conway, Kellyanne Conway, came out a day or two later and said, we might strike down the individual mandate. Sean Spicer very quickly walked that back. Do we have any more clarity from the White House 
a, a question that we maybe ask ourselves for months and years to come. Do we have any more clarity around what they want to do on the ACA? No. Um, I mean, if you read that executive order as liberally as possible, they are going to just, you know, totally demolish as much as they can. Or you can read it as conservatively, obviously I don't mean these in political terms, and you know they're just going to tweak around the edges and do some of the things that Democrats might have done if they had won the White House. But we have no idea what they are actually going to do. And I think that is a reflection of they have no idea what they're going to do. Um, so I am just as um, befuddled as how they move forward as anyone else. That being said, I think... You know, this week, if anything, if we combine the executive order craziness with the retreat, it's very clear that we have no idea, or, or, or I should say Republicans have no idea how this is going to play we, out. We have some idea because we're reporting on it, but we're not the ones who have to come up with the repeal and replace. Yeah. And, you know, they're just, I think they're really coming to terms with how difficult this is. I mean, health policy is just hard. Like, there's a reason that Democrats took decades to get it done. There's a reason Republicans for decades hadn't wanted to touch health care. And now they have to answer for their campaign promises. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong if you feel differently, but um, they just don't know how to match the policy with their political rhetoric. It's much easier to campaign than to actually come up with the solution here, especially given the time frame that they're giving themselves. Paul Ryan this week said, we need to get this done by end of March. Mm -hmm. That is 60-odd days away. You know this. I know this. It took Democrats in 2009 and 10 about 400 days. And that was just to put the law out there in the first mm -hmm. place. Republicans are trying to now do this double strategy of getting rid of one law and putting something else potentially in its place. Is Donald Trump helping or hurting congressional Republicans? You've written a bit on this because of the messages coming out from the White House. They don't always match the messages that congressional mm -hmm. Republicans are putting out, too. You know, it's kind of interesting you bring that up because I think Donald Trump could, if he comes out with a policy or a plan or, you know, a bill, um, I think it would bring some clarity to this process. Because right now you mentioned the Cassidy and Collins bill, the Rand Paul bill. Those just came out this week. Um, there's many other Republican plans that have, you know, circulated, been in the works for a while on Capitol Hill. Um, one of the problems for Republicans right now might be that there's too many plans and there's no real leader in this effort. Um, you know, you have many chairmen on Capitol Hill who have various pieces of jurisdiction. Um, all the chairmen are kind of, there, there's really no alignment between the chairmen on how they want to move forward. And then you have leadership, which, um, you know, isn't, hasn't put out a plan for how to move forward. So Donald Trump could step into this kind of leadership vacuum and say, this is what we're going to do, guys get on board. And if we've seen with the power of his tweets on other issues so far, I'm thinking the uh, the ethics uh, office fiasco, he could lay down a marker in just a 140-character tweet and reshape this debate. Because right now, there really is a leadership vacuum, and no one's really filled that, at least on Capitol Hill. The idea is that Tom Price, the nominee to be HHS secretary, is going to be Trump's point person once he is confirmed. Do we have any sense, one, if that confirmation is assured, you alluded to this earlier, and two, when would it be? You know, I um, I think he will get confirmed. I think it's going to be a little hairy, and I think it's going to be a really close vote, maybe even 52-48, which is exactly party line in the Senate. But I do think he'll get through. Um, 
But if you listen back to his hearing, you know, whenever he was asked about Donald Trump's policy, he would say, well, you guys are the legislators. And if I'm confirmed, I will, you know, no longer be a legislator. Um, so I'm kind of skeptical that he's going to actually be writing legislation. And if he is, you know, Democrats are going to go back to that hearing transcript from just a couple weeks earlier and remind him that he has no power to write bills. Let me let me just volley this back at you. So I, I think we've we've read reports that Price has been insulated from the White House on their mm-hmm. health reform initiatives in part to protect him during that hearing from having to say this is what the White House is, is going to do. Looking at the team around the White House, I'm not sure there is someone who's going to know more about health reform mm-hmm. who's going to be that close to the president. So while the HHS secretary has a huge job that goes well beyond writing bills, one could see Tom Price having the ear of Trump mm-hmm. and saying, this is how this legis- uh, legislation should shake out. Definitely. And you can also argue that he, as a former House member, um, as budget chairman, as you know, a real kind of leader among House Republicans in the repeal effort, that he has, he has the trust of rank-and-file Republicans, particularly in the House. So I think Trump could use that to his advantage and kind of use him as a you know, kind of healthcare czar type or, or ally. But I, I keep going back to his hearing comments, and maybe that was just to get out of answering questions about policy that he was saying he's not a legislator. Um, it, it would not be the first time that someone in a hearing <laughs> found an evasive way to get out of a tough question. Definitely, definitely. So I don't want to you know, read that too be, much into that. He'll be a great cabinet secretary. This is like <laughs> in keeping with form for those of us who have followed. Uh, followed Particularly the HHS secretaries. They're yeah. typically not too uh They're wordy. good at not making news. Yes, yes. Except when they don't want to make news. And then <laughs> the other piece of this too, I, I had a story this morning on the mm-hmm. folks. That was a great story. Thank you, Jen. It, your, your purpose on this podcast is thank you. We can, we can wrap right now. But the, the story was on the Beachhead team stepping mm-hmm. in at HHS. And the, the Beachhead folks, it's this term of, <laughs> as you look at each other and laugh, but it's, it's a term for the staff who are coming in to kind of clear the way for the next administration. Dates back. Storming the beaches of Normandy. Or, or the Humphrey Building, which is Equally the same fearsome, thing. yeah. It's it, it is this big, brutal-looking building. It probably <laughs> that's, that's true. You do need some courage sometimes to uh to, to ford the gates there. But the beachhead team is packed, relatively packed. It's a small team of a couple dozen people, but more Tom Price staffers, ex-staffers than any other constituency. There are a bunch of Pence folks there too. So even though he's not in seat, his people or people who get his thinking and mm-hmm. know where he stands on health reform are moving in at HHS, which could have implications for how the law is implemented, or at least being able to speak for Price while he's kind of incommunicado and saying, this is what the future HHS secretary wants. That's true. You know, I got um, an email from uh, Tom Price's uh, former Hill spokesman, Ryan Murphy, from an HHS.gov account before um, Price has been confirmed, in fact, before his second hearing. So I thought that was kind of interesting that he's putting his people in place. and I'm sure some of that is normal that, you know, you're a cabinet official and you're bringing in folks who know you and you're familiar with and know what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of also thinking back to, you know, Tom Daschle. Um, you know, he, at the start of the Obama administration, he was named HHS secretary and everyone thought he was a lock and then, and then didn't get into the job. And with Tom Price, there have been story after story that have sought to link 
his legislative behavior with stock trades or other mm-hmm. questionable actions on behalf of his constituents, there has not been any real momentum among Republicans, which is where you would need to see the the attacks come from. Grassley and others have basically said, we're not, this isn't convincing to us. Whereas with Daschle a few years ago, or more than a few years ago, eight years ago, the scandals that brought him down were around paying taxes and taking a private car. Yeah, yeah. So far, the stock allegations against Tom Price haven't really stuck. I mean, there's 52 Republicans. Um, even if you lose Jeff Sessions because he would be attorney general, that seat wouldn't be filled immediately. You'd have to lose two more Republicans for Price's nomination to go down. And as of right now, no Republican has gone on the record saying that they're going to oppose Price. And uh, as you said, Senator Grassley, um, you know, a, a huge proponent, or I should say opponent of insider trading and the Stock Act, um, has not indicated that he's going to vote against Price. Granted, he hasn't he said he wants to see the investigation complete. So I don't think we can firmly put him in the yes column yet, but he has not even hinted that he would vote no. Let's move to – he's not coming, by the way, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, we'll have to cut that. Um, let's let's move to a story that our colleague Paul Demko, who was supposed to join us but is now breaking another it's story or something. Yeah, just basically like everyone this week. Um, he, he broke the story last night that – the Trump administration was pulling back on ads on healthcare.gov on outreach in the last handful of days before the January 31st deadline. Now, that's notable because a week ago, we had broken the earlier story that the Obama administration had already set all that up. They prepaid Mm -hmm. those efforts. I'm curious, Jen, one, does this really matter at the end of the day? There are only a few days left in enrollment. There's a lot of news about this regardless. And secondly, what does this show for the potential for bipartisanship around ACA, because there have been a lot of Democrats immediately coming out and blasting this as sabotage. Well, I guess to answer the first part of that question, I think like any chance of bipartisanship has, you know, gone out the window weeks, months, years ago. Um, But I do think this is going to have a big effect because and you've written about this in the past, the last couple of days of enrollment are typically huge. Um, each year, those are the busiest days because humans are, by nature, procrastinators, particularly the young people they need in the market are procrastinators. They're going to wait till the last minute. Um, so so they need that advertising and those email reminders at the very end in order to uh, act. That being said, you can almost argue that this attention on the canceled ads might be some kind of organic um, uh, advertising for them, and it might remind people. You know, we've seen kind of in the Twitter people we follow, at least, there's a lot of people retweeting, you know, make sure you sign up just to spite Trump, things like that. Um, I'll be interested to know, you know, is the Trump administration going to even release the final enrollment numbers and how soon? Because um, you remember the end of the, at the end of each enrollment year, the Obama administration is usually very quick to get those out because those numbers surge. Um, so, yeah. And and I think right now we're expecting that that to be in March. That's that's the date that they put out. So theoretically those numbers will come. How much transparency will be around those numbers that a lot of that could be up to the administration. Yeah, and there's no law that says they have to release them. The interesting thing to me Jen is that the CBO had predicted there would be about 10 million people on average getting coverage through the exchange this year. That prediction came out before the Trump administration 
stepped in. I could see that becoming Mm -hmm. a political scorecard for Democrats to say, this is what it was supposed to be. We were on track to hit this. The Trump administration came in and sent some signals to the market that may have scared some people away. Mm -hmm. Folks have already been in my ear pitching me saying, if there's a gap, that's on Trump. This is the beginning of Trump care, not Obamacare. Yeah, totally. Um, Except at the same time, the CBO numbers on enrollment have been off over the years. Um, And I think, you know, I've had many Democrats spin to me that those numbers, you know, were off when, you know, Democrats were in charge and they didn't hit their targets. Um, So I don't know. I think I think there's spin to be spun on both sides of how those numbers turn out. (laughs) You, You could lose a lot of money banking on the CBO as your as your guiding star when it comes to prediction capability. Yeah, especially if you go back to the 2010 predictions. I mean, those have been adjusted many times now. Thinking a little bit more about what happens next with ACA repeal and replace, you gave in, in Pulse a few weeks ago a great timeline of how many pieces needed to happen before the law actually could move forward or, or the bill could move forward. Where are we in that right now? Um, print out that pulse and uh, when you have the sheet of paper in front of you, light a match and set it on fire because it's gone. <laughs> um, and I think that was only like three weeks ago that we published that. I, I think it was about three weeks to the day. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, at that time, we were still under the theory that they were going to do repeal with the 2015 reconciliation bill. It was going to be really smooth. They were just going to all fall in line and get it done and then work on replace. And clearly, the folks who have been saying we can't do repeal without a replace have overtaken the debate. And now any repeal that they do is going to have to come with some replace. Um, I think the question now for Republicans is how much replace they can attach to that repeal bill and still pass it through reconciliation. So that changes the timeline completely. I mean, Paul Ryan is saying March, April, um, uh, Mark Meadows of the uh, House Freedom Caucus is saying the spring as well. I think that's really, really difficult. Um, I mean, Congress just moves so slow, particularly in the Senate. Um, the only ideas for replace that I've heard that could be attached to reconciliation are um, high-risk pools and health savings accounts. You know, you can't tell somebody that that's replacement to Obamacare. You can say that that's a start to replacement, um, but that would take a long time to put together. And just right now, that path seems like it's going to take much longer. There have been a few political surprises in the past year, but this is one where I feel confident, as confident as anyone should feel right now in making predictions, that that March deadline, it's it's not going to happen. Yeah, I'm with you. That, that we're going to see this slip. Is there any ramification in the meantime for insurers participating in this market or, or industry saying we need more Stability, we need to know where this is headed or we're going to drop out. Huge. I mean, insurers have to decide by April if they're going to participate in the next plan year. Um, And if there is not even a sign of any kind of replacement or a plan by April, it's really hard to see insurers sticking around. Um, You know, we've seen the last couple of years when the ACA was supposedly on steady ground and, you know, not going to be repealed, that they had a hard time getting in and their rates were going up each year. I just have a hard time seeing insurers sticking around through that. I mean, do you think they will? It remains to be seen. I, I've seen Molina Healthcare, mm-hmm. which has done very well in the ACA exchanges, saying at this point, 
we're not sure if we mm-hmm. can participate next year. And a number of anonymously sourced quotes from insurers. I, some of this is gamesmanship mm-hmm. because if they are telling... It's leverage. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the more nervous they are, the more concessions they can extract from Republicans around either replacing or offering them some olive branch, financial olive, olive branch to, to stick around. And I am curious how much pressure industry will bring to bear in the next number of months on Republicans crafting. I've been interested in finding out why insurers and industry hasn't been more vocal about this. I mean, their law is on the brink. This law that they have, you know, had a love-hate relationship with but has been on the books for seven years now. And for all the upheaval they went through in 2010, like, do they really want to go through that again? I'm just surprised that they haven't been more vocal. Maybe they're holding their cards close for now. I've done some reporting on this, and I think it comes down to a few things. One, there are a lot of people scared of Trump, mm-hmm. scared that he will use his Twitter account, and this is no exaggeration, use his Twitter account to put an industry on blast, an employer on blast, a person on blast. Mm-hmm. He has done that before. So there are lots of people keeping a little quieter than they might have otherwise been for fear of reprisal. I think some of it, too, is after all of the deals that were done to get the ACA through, some industry groups are worried that they're seen as too partisan to mm-hmm. invest in the law. So that is a factor, I think. As we get more into the actual replacement, that's when I feel like industry will bring more of its ammo to bear. My last question for you. Huge week, crazy week, and crazy weeks to come. If you had to pick one person who won this week, and this is such a Washington question, but Jen Habercorn, in healthcare, who won the week? Um, I'm going to say Paul Demko with his healthcare.gov scoop. I was looking outside the walls I of know, Politico. I know. Yeah. You know, it's hard to see any winners on the Republican side um, because I think this chaos theme is going to continue. Maybe Sylvia Burwell for getting out of healthcare and moving to academia uh, as president of American University. That That might be the winning move of this week. I thought it was very interesting when we talked to Andy Slavitt on Sunday, and, and we were asking all kinds of questions about where the next administration would be and who would be the lead voice on, on health care. And Slavitt was positioning himself as the big defender of Obamacare, not the former HHS secretary. She is She has made a right turn out of the policy debate. So not that higher ed doesn't have a connection with health care, too, but I was expecting her to be more of a lead player in the mm-hmm. next couple of years. Seems like she won't be. And to that point, I mean, the Democrats kind of need a face of Obamacare. I mean, you know, President Obama has indicated he will talk about it, but he's not going to be the face of it. And frankly, he might not be the best face. But there isn't kind of really a number one Obamacare cheerleader right now. Maybe Andy Slavitt can fill that voice it could have been Burwell. I don't know who that's going to emerge to be. We had Leslie Doc on the podcast yeah. a few weeks ago. There are a few people out there, and I think that's something interesting to watch. Who steps forward as the number one cheerleader and supporter? Well, we'll leave it there. We'll have you back soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Dan. That's it for Pulse Check this week. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back again next week with some guests with some more news analysis. And you can always find Pulse Check on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and elsewhere. Email me at ddiamond at politico.com. 